for what we're going to begin this morning. If you were with us last week, you know that we ended our study in Colossians, and so we're ready to begin a new series, which we're going to do this week, uh, in the small little book of Habakkuk, or uh, Habakkuk, if you are from certain parts of the world. I think you have to have a Scottish accent or a British accent to say Habakkuk, so I can't do that, but um, you may hear it pronounced that way. But um, as you turn and as you know, uh, Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets, uh, so-called not because uh, their message was minor or their impact was minor, but called that because their message tended to be much shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and even Daniel. Uh, and also, uh, Habakkuk is found between Nahum and Zephaniah. Now, I recognize that in telling you that, I may not have done you a whole lot of good uh, so, let me say this to you, if you can get to Ezekiel, if you can get to Daniel, if you can get to the major prophets, uh, then you can get pretty close. You can go from uh, Hosea uh, to Joel to Amos to Obadiah to Micah to Nahum and then to Habakkuk, right? Uh, or if you can get to the New Testament, if you can get to Matthew, then you can work your way back uh, through Malachi and Zechariah and Agai and Zephaniah. It's hard to work backwards. Zephaniah to Habakkuk, okay? So, everybody with me? We good? All right. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to turn my mic on. I hear, I hear you up there. Let's hear God's word together. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear cry to you violence and you will not save why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, your word, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we pray that as we consider your sovereignty, as we consider your work in the lives of your people, uh, that you would lead us by your spirit to bow before you in humble submission, and that you would impart to us the unwavering assurance that you are working all things for your glory and for our good, Father, open our hearts and focus our minds, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I've said before uh, that if you have been a Christian for any length of time, and particularly if you have been reformed in your theological leanings for any length of time, then you will at some point have wrestled with the mystery of God's sovereignty. Um, you know, I've I said this last week, but one of the, the things that Ben and I have to consider often are the questions from the kids, and the questions that they so often ask are questions about this. Why, why did God allow sin? Why did he act this way at this time for this people? Why didn't he act this way at this time for his people? And look, these, these are, are hard questions to be sure, uh, and they're, they're hard questions that all of us, every single one of us, wrestle with at some point or another. But the reality is, is that as we get older, there are often questions that come to us uh, with a whole host of emotions, right? Sometimes we ask these questions out of confusion. You know, God has placed some circumstance in our lives and we can't see it, we can't understand it. And so we go to him and we say, God, why? Why have you done this in our lives? Let's be honest, sometimes it's anger that, that prompts these questions. God takes someone from us. God puts some hardship in our lives and we go to him and we say, God, why did you do this? Why have you acted in this way? Still other times, it's brokenheartedness that, that leads us to ask these, these questions. Again, God takes someone from us. We bow before him and say, God, why? Why have you done this? Why have you taken this person from me? And then almost every time, no, no matter the initial emotion that got us there, there's also usually a sense of guilt that comes with asking these types of questions, right? We always wonder, should we ask them? Is it okay to ask God why? Well, as we come to this study in Habakkuk, what we find is that for better or for worse, the prophet is asking all of these questions. And he's asking them with all of these various emotions in tow. He's confused. He, he's angry. He's brokenhearted. And underlying it all, I believe, is a general feeling of, should I really be asking this? You know, Habakkuk is wrestling with the mystery of God's sovereignty. And in some ways, it's a mystery that is only going to get deeper as he goes, as he has this conversation between he and the Lord. What we're going to find, what Habakkuk finds, is that one, God is gracious to hear our questions. God is merciful to hear our questions. Two, he's going to find that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, outside of God's control. Three, he's going to find that God always acts in ways that are in accordance with his character. And then fourth, though he may not always act as we expect, though he may not always act in ways that we want, what we're going to find in this little book is that God is at work. And what he's doing, it exceeds 
anything we could have designed. It exceeds anything that we could have desired, even for ourselves. You know, ultimately, this little book is going to give us the assurance, the rock-solid confidence we need to live in a fallen world by reminding us that there is a God on the throne. Our God is on the throne and that he does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115, and nothing or no one can stop his purposes. And so, as the book calls us to do, we can live by faith. Ultimately, I pray that we come to the same conclusion that Habakkuk does. Habakkuk chapter 3, you remember these great words, the words that are so often quoted Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should blossom, the fruit be on the vine. Though the field yields no food. Ultimately, he says what? I will rejoice in the Lord, the Lord who is my Savior and my strength. Habakkuk comes to the conclusion that his God will not allow his foot or the feet of his people to be moved. And so look, the, the message of the book, the message that we're going to have for however many weeks it takes us to get through this, and I hope it won't be many, is God's in control. He's got this thing in hand. Now, that's sort of a, a summary of the book. And you say, well, there we go. We can be done with that and we can move on. But before we do that, I want you to notice that, that as the book gets started... Habakkuk has to, has to get to that truth. He, he's not quite there yet. He, he must first wrestle. And that's what he's doing here, friends. He is wrestling with the hard reality that he sees, not only in his life, but the hard reality that he sees all around him. The hard reality for God's people. And so this morning, we will consider three points. One, we're going to see something about the prophet himself. We're going to see something about his complaint. And then we're going to see the first response. We do all of that with the goal that, that we can see uh, how we can approach God, even with hard questions. That we too can learn something about his character. And that we can see in his unfolding purposes, God often works in ways that we can understand and that we can't see. So, that's where we're headed. Let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is an, is an obscure prophet. An obscure prophet. Now, who, who was Habakkuk? Who was he? The reality is, is very little is actually known about Habakkuk. He, he's only mentioned twice in the whole Old Testament. In chapter 1 and in verse 1 of this book, and in chapter 3 and in verse 1 of this book. And then, it's also difficult to even really place Habakkuk in its own historical setting. There's not a lot of clues here that help us date it. The only one that we really have, the only lifeline we have, is in chapter 1 and in verse 6, where God says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a.k.a. the, the Babylonians. And so we, we recognize that in some ways, Habakkuk is looking forward to the exile. He's looking forward to what God is going to do through King Nebuchadnezzar and sending the people off away from Jerusalem. Uh, the problem is, is we, don't, we have no idea really how distant or how near of a reality that event is. Okay? It's clear from the book that Judah is living in open rebellion against God. 
Uh, and this is going to be just a small little history lesson, but we know that, that King Josiah, you remember good King Josiah, his reforms happened between the year 640 and 609. And so it would seem that Habakkuk is either writing before Josiah, uh, during the, the infamous reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, or he is writing after Josiah when things go back downhill, uh, during the reigns of King Jehoahaz and King Jehoiakim. So, I say all that to say, armed with that information, what can we say about the person Habakkuk? We can say that he lived most likely during the rise of the Chaldeans and that he was probably a contemporary of Jeremiah and Zephaniah and maybe, maybe even Nahum. But in terms of background, in terms of personal information... That's about all we get. But I want you to look at, with me at, at verse 1 there. It says the oracle or, or the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now again, th this doesn't give us any more personal information really than we had before, but it does tell us much about who Habakkuk was in the economy of God, the call that God had placed in his life. And it does tell us something about where we find him as this book begins. First, recognize the, the call. Habakkuk is what? He is a prophet. And what were prophets tasked with doing? Speaking the very words of God to God's people. Now, many commentators suggest that this might be the reason in God's providence we don't know anything about Habakkuk. Because as a prophet, the focus was not really on Habakkuk, right? Certainly, God in his providence uses the, the circumstances of other prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, to boost the message that they give. But it's still really not about them, right? It's still really about the message. Their role is to be a voice. And, and you remember this so clearly in John's gospel when he's talking about John the Baptist. I can turn over there. You remember in chapter 1 um, and in verse 19 says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, John the Baptist was a voice. And that's exactly what all of the Old Testament prophets ultimately were intended to be. And so their attitude towards their role was the same as John the Baptist in John chapter 3 and verse 30. You remember there he says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. His purpose was always the message, the message of Christ. And so for Habakkuk, no, we don't know much about him, but, but we know his role. His role was to be a voice to God's people, to, to faithfully serve with the goal that the triune God might increase, even if that meant that he might decrease. And friends, as we saw in Colossians, 
we are tasked with going out with this same message. And the reality is, is for us to do it well, we must do the same. We must decrease, and Christ must increase, okay? Habakkuk is a prophet, but then secondly, notice, as a prophet, it's not surprising that here he has received an oracle. Now, that, that term, that, that Hebrew word is actually better translated, a burden. He has received a burden from God. And that idea of burden is actually going to lead us into our next point. But quickly, ju- just consider the implications of what that term means. You know, I don't know about you, but I often think of the prophet's job as one that, that must have been pretty cool. You know, they get to talk to God directly. They get to speak God's word directly to God's people. Not only that, but many of them got to be in the presence of God. Sort of like the, those movies where like, you have the, the army uh, generals and they're all in a room together and that's that one red phone in the middle and it rings and he picks it up and he says, yes, Mr. President, and he hangs it up and it's DEFCON 5, right? Something bad, like he gets the message and he delivers it. Well, for some reason, I picture the prophets in that way. And certainly, their message was often DEFCON 5. Um, It's going to be here. But burden would suggest that that it wasn't always a cool thing to be the prophet. Uh, In fact, it would seem to suggest that it was a great weight that they carried around. That they carried around until they got rid of it. And it was often a great weight even after they got rid of it. You think of Isaiah. He went to a people who would not hear. You think of Jeremiah. He was the weeping prophet. Even his family turned against him. And even Jonah, though Jonah was running from God, even after he does what God asked him to do, what he does is still a great burden to him, right? He still is upset that God acts as he says he would act. And so my point is... What Habakkuk has here, as we begin this book, is not an easy task. What he has here is not an easy vision, as we're going to see. He has a burden, a burden to take to God's people. And it's a burden that begins with an initial complaint. So we've seen an obscure prophet. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice an initial complaint. Now, Habakkuk is interesting in that Unlike all the other prophetic books, there is no direct communication between God and the people. God never says, go say to my people, do this. All we have is this dialogue, this discourse between Habakkuk and God. And in verse 2, notice how it begins. It says, O Lord, Habakkuk says, how long shall I cry for help? How long? Now look, the the implication here is that Habakkuk has been crying out for some time. That that this is not the first time he has ran into God's presence, right? That, That he has been weighed down by the sins of God's people, which is the problem in this book. And he has been crying out to God over and over and over again that God would do something. And yet, all of it has seemed to go to no avail. And so now, sort of like Job, he needs answers. He he wants to know why God has been silent. Why have you not acted? When your holiness, 
when your justice are clearly being violated. Look there at verse 3. It says, you make me see iniquity. You, you look at, at wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Clearly things that, that God hates. God abhors, particularly from His people. The people are, are living in sin. And then, not only that, but notice in verse 4. The, the law is paralyzed, right? The wicked surround the righteous. Justice never goes forth. And even when it does, it is perverted. The kings are evil. The courts are evil. The people are evil. And Habakkuk is asking, How long, O Lord, will you let it slide? How long will you look at it and not act? At least from Habakkuk's perspective, God, will you do nothing? And then notice there again in verse 2. Maybe what is the, the heaviest and the most challenging of Habakkuk's complaints. He says there, will you not save? Will you not save? Notice, Habakkuk's not just throwing this around without knowledge of what he's saying. Again, at the beginning of verse 2, who is it that Habakkuk addresses? It's not Adonai. It's not Elohim. But it is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is who? Yahweh. He is addressing God by his covenant name, the name by which he promised to Moses, I will deliver this people. The name by which he promised to Moses, these will be my people forevermore. And so in short, as Habakkuk comes to God, he fully recognizes that he is saying to God, you are Yahweh. You are the one who said you would be faithful. You are the one who said you would never abandon us. And so now God, will you not save? The question Habakkuk is really asking is, God, are you faithful? Will you do what you said you will do? Now let's recognize that's a pretty bold move on the prophet's part, right? It's sort of like Job or even David in the Psalms. We read this and we think, I'm not sure I would have done that. I'm not sure I would have said that to a holy and righteous God. I'm not sure I would have brought these kinds of hard questions into his presence. It seems maybe it's wrong, but maybe it's, it's off limits to do this. But friends, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear this. Recognize that, that the Bible, it is full of people asking these types of questions. God seems to invite them. He, he seems to say to his people, come and ask me the hard things. But notice that as Habakkuk asked them, uh, he gives us some guidelines. He helps us recognize how it is that we can ask these sorts of questions. Notice first, Habakkuk is not complaining here against God, but he is complaining 
to God. Now, that may seem like I'm splitting hairs, and maybe I am, but if you've ever had to deal with an angry group of people, or people who are mad at you, or people who are, are sort of protesting, you recognize the difference between the two. There's always people in that group who simply want to talk behind the scenes, right? That they want to talk to everybody or everyone except the person that they need to talk to. And so they go and they whisper behind your back or over here or over there. They don't talk to the person. That, that is complaining against someone, right? But then there's always that, that brave soul among the group who will go and who will directly address the person that they need to challenge. They'll say, hey, why did you do this? Now, if you were in any sort of position of authority here today, which one of those two people would you rather have? Would you rather have the person who is talking kind of behind the scenes? Or would you rather have the person who would come directly to you? Truthfully, you probably would rather have neither one of them. But, but, if you had to choose, you'd rather have the person who'd come directly to you, right? Look, friends, I'm sure God, I know actually for a fact that God would rather us simply trust in his good grace to us. But also know that he knows our hearts better than we do. And his fatherly love for us has ordained that, that, that we can come to him, that we not hide our questions or hide our feelings because it's useless anyway. He knows them. He desires for us to bring it all to him. You can go to God with your hard questions. Now we're going to see that he may not answer in the way that you think he would answer. He may answer in a way that is unexpected. But he does hear. And he does answer his people. And so we complain, when we complain, we complain to God. Secondly, notice here that Habakkuk does not complain based solely on his own feelings or his thoughts or his ideas. No, all of his complaints there are rooted where? They're rooted in the character of God. They're rooted in who God has revealed himself to be. Notice Habakkuk's main issue here is not simply that God is not doing what he, the prophet, wants God to do. No, the main issue is that it seems that God is not acting in a way consistent with who he has revealed himself to be. And the prophet wants to know, why is that the case? Look, this is, this is extremely important for us. In order for us to pray well, in order for us, and I'm going to put this in quotation marks, to complain well, we have to know who God is. You know, lots of times we get ourselves in trouble because we have a faulty view of God or his character, of his law. We are complaining, but the complaint has no basis. I was talking to a, a coach friend of mine this week, a, a high school coach, uh, and we were, as somebody who coaches not at that level, but at different levels, we were commiserating over the actions and complaints of other coaches. Um, and the thing that we both said that drives us crazy is when other coaches complain and they don't know the rules. Like, you know, if you go, go read the rule book and then come and complain if you have a legitimate complaint. But don't complain 
if you don't know the rules. Here, we have a little bit of that, right? If we're going to go to God, if we're going to talk about our circumstances, the things that he's doing, then we need to know the rules. We need to know who he has revealed himself to be, his character, his will for our lives, his will for this creation that he has made. When we come saying, Lord, this is what you promised. This is how you act towards your people according to your word. We need to know that that's exactly what he has said. He invites us in that case to come. He invites us for, for dialogue. He, he delights in showing us who he is. He delights in showing us his faithfulness. So we complain to God. We complain knowing his character, who he is. And then lastly here, I would just remind you uh, that Habakkuk comes and his complaint is made with genuine sincerity. I mean by that is it's made from a heart that is truly seeking God. What's going to become clear as we move through this little book is that Habakkuk isn't just like throwing prayers up at the ceiling. You know, he's not just throwing it up there and hoping that it sticks somewhere. Uh, This is not just sending good vibes out into the ether. No, up until this point, he has earnestly sought the face of the Lord. And here, once again, in the book, he is pouring out the depths of his heart to God. And friends, what does the Bible say in Jeremiah 29 about those who seek him with all their hearts and with all of their souls? God says, they will find him. They will find me when you seek me in that way. Even when the questions are hard questions, even when the answers are not easy, God promises that he is faithful to those who seek his face, who seek him earnestly. To be sure, Habakkuk is doing that here. And so Habakkuk complains, to be sure. He complains to the point where, like Job, it's almost uncomfortable. But his complaint is to God, it's rooted in God's character, and it comes from a heart genuinely and earnestly seeking him. And friends, when we come that way, I would suggest to you that there's very little that's off limits. There's very little that we cannot bring to God when we come in that way. And I would also remind you that he is God. He can take our hard questions. That doesn't mean that we come flippantly. That doesn't mean that that we come disrespectfully. But he is God. And he's not going to be intimidated by the things that you ask him. He invites you to come in and to ask. Now, that's where we're going to end today. Um, We didn't get to the the place where I wanted to get, and that's okay. Uh, But but before you put your stuff up, before before you check out, um, let's, let's try to, to bring this to a close, okay? So the, the, the challenge of preaching from the Old Testament anytime, particularly from the minor prophets, is you don't want to just preach a Jewish sermon, okay? You don't ever want to preach a sermon that would work in a synagogue. You want to preach a Christian sermon. And the, the way to do that always is to do what? It is to point us 
to Christ. And I want you to recognize as we move through this little book that Jesus is not just an afterthought here. He is not just somebody that we bring in to try to wrap it up and make it nice and sweet and good and great. No. If we step back from the, 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 the details of a bag, if we look at it within the, the framework of redemptive history, where it's at in God's overall big story, we're going to find that it is, like the rest of Scripture, driving us hard towards our Savior. What's the problem that these Jewish people are wrestling with? What's the problem that Habakkuk has with Israel? Well, it's the same problem that Adam and Eve had. It's the same problem that Moses and the people of Israel had in the wilderness. It's the same problem that David is going to have. It's the same problem in Romans 3, or Romans 1, that all of creation has. And in Romans 3 as well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem is sin. The problem is injustice. It is a lack of holiness. And so to some degree or another... We recognize in Habakkuk that truth of Romans, that all of creation is crying out for deliverance. These people, they are looking for answers. Habakkuk is looking for answers to life's hardest question. And though God's question, answer is not what we expect, it's not self-help. It's not good advice. It's not, oh, let's don't worry about this. Let's just sweep it under the rug. No, his answer to all the hard questions, this one and all the rest of them, it is a person. The answer to the hard questions is the prophet, not just a minor prophet, not just a major prophet. It is the prophet and priest and king. It is his own son who came to deliver us from this type of injustice, who came to deliver us from this type of sin. It is His Son, friends, who said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Hard questions. Hard things He was dealing with. It is the Son who cried from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hard questions. We recognize that we have a Savior who has wrestled with these same sorts of things. He was cut off. He was cursed so that we might have the assurance and the confidence that despite all we see and all we feel and even all that we do, we never will be cut off. And we never will be cursed as we deserve, as these people in Habakkuk's time deserved. Friends, we recognize that, that in this Christ, in Jesus, it's in Him that we now have access to, to God's throne room. It's in Him that we can bring our hard questions. It's in Christ who has died for us that we now can go before our fathers and pour our hearts out. It's only in Him that we can do that. We have no right other than in Christ. And we also know that Christ is there interceding for us, praying on our behalf. And so as we move through Habakkuk, I want you to remember that if God has given us His Son, 
How will he not also freely in him give us all things? Yes, we're going to wrestle with some hard things as we move through this. But ultimately, our eyes are where? They're looking to Jesus, the one who has overcome the world. And so today, like Habakkuk, but even with, with more confidence than Habakkuk, I want to encourage you as we leave to flee to God with whatever you have in your life. Flee to God through Christ and know that He hears you. Know that He will answer you, maybe not in your time, but in His time, and that He is faithful to keep and to hold all His redeemed people. As we pray together, Father God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that you love us. And even as we walk through a a sinful world, even as we wrestle with the sins of other people, even as we wrestle with our own sin, uh, Lord, we know that that in Christ you have redeemed us and you have given us a Savior who, who will never forsake us and never leave us, who has given us access to your throne room so that we might bring our complaints, that we might bring our struggles and our hardships. We can bring it all to you. And it's not just an option, but Lord, you invite us in. You call us to come to you with all that we have because you're a good father and you love to hear from us and you love to remind us of who you are. You love to remind us of your sure faithfulness and your sure character. Uh, And so, God, we pray that that through this little book you would remind us of all those things. Give us the, the faith that we need to walk through this life and walk through this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is the Lord.